Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh yeah. So it's just myself, Mitch and Ando tonight. We don't have Rev. He is off on vacation somewhere in somewhere warm and sunny, hopefully. But he, uh, we do have a good episode lined up this weekend or the, tonight. We've got a lot of exciting things to chat about. But first of all, Ando, how are you? Mate, I'm super good. I'm wearing my new Wallabies kit. I got the uh, Indigenous jersey. And it's the first Wallabies kit I've actually bought firsthand and not just like bought a knockoff, not a knockoff, but a secondhand one off eBay because it's cheaper. I splashed out. First time I win it is our consecutive win against the South Africans, the world number one team. It was a glorious night to remember. And I'm super excited to be here with you to chat it through. Well, hopefully that that New Jersey has springboarded the Wallabies into a successful run to the 2023 World Cup, and you've started it with that New Mate, Jersey. This is me. This is me. It's all you. <laughs> well done. Well done. Thank Why don't you, you run us through your our social medias? Easy. So you can hit us up on Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook pick and drive rugby podcast and Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Now we have something pretty exciting, which is going to be happening this this Thursday, which is our pick and drive live at 8pm on all good platforms. But not only is that exciting, we also have a very, very special guest, a man that I particularly have looked up to and thought that he is one of the best blazer wearers in the business is Nick McArdle. Not only does he look good, he knows his stuff as well. And he's going to be coming on and talking all things Aussie rugby, talking all things Wallabies and reviewing the match from Saturday night and previewing the upcoming or the first match that we'll have against the Argies. So make sure you get involved 8pm Thursday on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. Awesome. Looking forward to that one. Don't miss it. And we also had some Super Brew results over the weekend. So Ando, I'll let you run through those quickly. Yeah, mate. So congratulations to Mushroom Sauce, who was a Golden Cap winner over the weekend. He got four points, so he absolutely nailed it. Um, next was Super Chook on 2.83, and then a bunch of us on uh, 2.5 for the weekend. So I got 2.5 as well. I'll just say that I'm technically third too. Um, <laughs> however, overall, we have a front row has stormed up into first place with the overall rankings with a total of nine points, closely followed by Bonds and Sensation on eight Point five each. So very, very close up the top. Um, genuinely, Mitch, I don't know the answer to this question. How are you tracking on it? I, I actually didn't check. So I know <laughs> I know that I picked Australia for one of the, the All Blacks tests or the All Blacks test. So I got that yep. wrong. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's enough to just throw you out of the comp at this point, get one yep. game wrong. So I, I'm down the bottom somewhere. Down the bottom somewhere. That's rough. I'm, I'm sixth at the moment. So I'm pretty happy with that. Um, out of out of the 40 people in now, I think this is the best I've ever done. Uh, you are, let me find you, mate. I'm scrolling okay. down. You're currently 23rd. That's so not you too went bad. Up. Yeah, that's okay. It could be worse. Yeah, you're, you're above Mitch, who's on 25. Oh, on Rev, sorry, who's 25th. Okay, um, I'll take that. So, yeah, mate, we're going... Look, I'm holding the fort for the three of us, but the rest, the other two aren't too... Aren't Let's too put poor. the challenge out there now. One of us, either yourself... Me or Rev need to finish in the top 10 this year. Oh, God. 
Let's yeah, put the challenge out there. If everyone can kick us out of the top 10, well done to you. Yep. Yeah, it'll be uh the big the big calls will be this coming weekend. Um, whether or not you try and get an upset by going for maybe the box over the Kiwis, because I mean the current read would be that the Kiwis or the All Blacks would be winning this game. But I mean South Africa could come back, and it's going to be a really really tight game. So that could lead to some pretty significant changes at the top we of the ladder. We could see board some, yeah, we group. could see some real changes happening in, over yeah. the next two weeks. So yep. anyway, talking about tonight, what we're going to chat through. So we will go through the results from. Round four of the Rugby Champs, where Australia played South Africa and Argentina hosted New Zealand. We will then get into the locker room and answer your questions and hot takes. So we're not necessarily doing the hot room, uh, the locker room, the hot room, the hot room. That's a good one. <laughs> the Maybe hot we room. call it the, the hot room. The heated the, locker room. The heated locker room. So tonight we're going to do hot takes. So we put a tweet out right after the game on Saturday and we wanted to get your takes straight away. So we're going to call it hot takes tonight. Uh, and then we've got Dave coming on from the Rayborn Shield to have a chat. So if you're not too sure about the Rayburn Shield or Rayborn Shield, or we'll find out how to say that a little bit later. <laughs> um, definitely listen to the chat coming down below. And then we've got a few little snippets of international news that we'll finish up on. Brilliant. That sounds good. Um, and for those of you who don't recognize, well, why are these guys caring about the Rayburn Shield? It's because the Australia and the Wallabies are the current holders of the Rayburn Shield after the last two weeks' matches. So to find out more, then you'll have to make sure you tune in after we do the reviews of the weekend's matches. That's right. All right. Let's get into it. Let's go. All right. The part everyone is looking forward to talking about and listening to the most. The Wallabies have beaten South Africa for the second time in two weeks. We came away victors on over the weekend, 30-17 at Suncorp Stadium, the new home of the Wallabies, the new home of Australian rugby. How good was this performance, Ando, and what got you the most excited? Oh, look, I think Lenny Ikatao getting a first try just got me up and shouting and yelling. It was so, so good to see a player who has really not put much of a foot wrong at all in his Wallabies career so far. Without being a huge standout, he's done quiet work well and consistently. Kind of like Kellaway, but with less plaudits than Kellaway. And for him to break through a pretty weak tackle uh, a couple of weak tackles and get that try was just so good to see the joy the passion the fire that you saw within him as he throws the ball away in the place it was just next level enjoyment I loved the the passion and the fire that the Wallabies came out with and it was exemplified within that try yeah, and then the fact that he also went over only a few minutes later for his second <laughs> try. So, hasn't scored for Australia in a test match yet, and he scores two in his first game scoring. So, fantastic result by Ikitao. But overall, I think if we go across the team of, from the weekend, mm. most players would have scored above eight in a player rating. Yep. Everyone played out of their skins this week. And who, I'll, I'll throw this to you first, who was the most influential player? Oh, that's a really good question. You'd have to be putting Taniela Tupo up there. Yep. Nick White up there as well. And probably Samu Karevi. I reckon yep. those three are well up there. Um, Taniela Tupo, just because as a forward, he played for seven, as a prop, he played 75 minutes of the game and was damaging up until 
that 75th minute when he got subbed for um, Tom Robertson. Uh, For Nick White, his service and delivery, the the crispness and the accuracy of his passing was next level. And he had a really nice tactical kicking game as well that he brought into play. Uh, And then Samu Karevi, He's the get-out-of-jail-free card when something breaks down. You get it to Karevi, you know that he can stand up in a tackle and weather the storm for two, three seconds until the forwards can disengage from whatever ruck or line-out or whatever it is and then get there to support him. The three of them combined, I thought, brought dominance, composure, and power in a way that we haven't really seen as consistently over the last few months. Exactly. And Marika Korobedi as well also got on the board twice. So, mm. scored a try in the 62nd and the 68th minute, which was fantastic to see, first of all, that he got to score tries and that they weren't taken off the board from him. Um, but yeah, as we said before, everyone in the team stood up this week. Yep. And it's more of a... We should be talking more of the fact that it was a consistent Wallabies performance and not just one or two players yep. that really stood up. Everyone played really well. But flipping that coin over... South Africa just looked off the pace this week and we were all expecting South Africa to come out really fired up to really take it to the Wallabies um, and but they did for the first probably 10-15 minutes but then they sort of seemed to look unfit and made some some silly mistakes. What was your thoughts around what was happening for South Africa this week? I just think that they um, they strangely enough couldn't handle the pressure and the weight of expectation that was put upon them um, because they would have been absolutely smashed by their home media after the first loss against us and they knew that if they lost this game there were a good chance of losing the number one ranking in the world which they subsequently have because of New Zealand defeat of Argentina so they're second now Um, and that basically I, I just think that they just choked and couldn't handle it Australia were really smart in playing um in giving South Africa the possession instead and making them attack because where South Africa has got points over the last, well, basically from the British and Irish Lions tour up until now is by forcing errors from the opposition. They, they do the high contestable kicks. They try and force an error. They'll take the penalty kick or go for the line and use their rolling mall. It's what worked pretty effectively for them last week, actually. Um, But this time, we actually kicked away a significant amount of possession. We only had 41% possession for the game and 40% territory. And yet, when we had the ball, we were far more effective. So our tackle percentage, uh, completion percentage, was 94%. South Africa's, 72%. That meant whenever we were actually making the attacks on the rare occasions that we were, we were just far more um, pe- uh, penetrating within our runs and were able to be more effective with our ball use, whereas they had the possession for so long and did so little. Yeah. was an unusual performance from South Africa. We were expecting them to really muscle up and go hard at us at the breakdown and at, um, at set piece, but... We really stood up. The Wallabies stood up this week and pushed them back. Mm. They they scored that one try through Am, which was a kick through, uh, which was just poor defence uh, from the Wallabies. There's a but- forward pass from Faf to Clerk and a lead up to that, just quietly. But anyway. Oh, let's not get too let's not get too ahead of ourselves because <laughs> there was. You but could we also won be anyway, saying so there was. I was going to say you could be saying that there was a forward pass from uh, Karevi, Karevi last for the week. first try. Yeah. But this this week. Oh, this so- week. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that try. And uh, at the same time, Flaufienga charges into a breakdown. No arms tackle on a player. We saw at the end of the game, very mm, similar situation happen. Yes. Um, so let's not, get too, let's not get too <laughs> nit, nitpicky. But 
fantastic to see the Wallabies really being dominant in the mall defense. That's something that we were struggling with last week, particularly around the lineouts and engaging too early or driving too early when the players were coming down. But was it the 65th minute or around that time where South Africa hot on attack, take the ball down from a five-meter lineout to a mall, and we drive them straight over the sideline? Oh, that had huge. me up and yep. cheering, yep. up and dancing around the living room. That was fantastic. And you know what? Like, there's a part of me that recognizes how much of a rugby nerd I'm becoming when I'm cheering moments like that. Because your average punter who just tunes in for the games and maybe doesn't follow it much throughout the super season or something like that, hasn't played, may not recognize that, like, that moment is just as important as getting a penalty down there and in front of the sticks. It's the turning of the momentum. It's the recognition that the Wallabies were there to play and weren't going to let the South Africans dominate with them more like they did the previous week. And that they'd obviously made significant changes throughout the week to adjust and improve on an area of weakness. And it was just great to see that improve that, that targeted improvement in an area of need, which um, we haven't always seen the Wallabies capable of re- reacting or responding to week to week. Now, we spoke previously around Taniel Tupa having a great impact around the field. We've been calling, or fans have been calling for it for a few weeks now that he needs to start. Was this an indication that Taniela Tupo is a 75-plus minute test player? Uh, look, it shows that he's got the potential for it. Yeah, part of me feels a bit sorry for Tom Robertson because I believe he could have done a good job if he had been given a bit more time. But, I mean, he was on the wrong side of the scrum, was he not? Yeah, yeah, that's not his preferred position. Yeah, so they're probably just avoiding that. Um, look... I am re- I'm just super proud, not proud, stoked, proud, excited of how Taniella went. The thing is, that doesn't really take away from Alan Alatoa a significant amount. No. Um, it shows that we have two world-class props that we can be choosing from. And I really don't have any major issue if Alan Alatoa starts ahead of Taniella or if, based upon this performance, Taniella now keeps a starting spot for the next two or three games. I'll be honest, his previous starts for the Wallabies in kind of this international season, they haven't been great. They haven't been as... Um, as Impactful. Uh, what's the right word? As powerful, as impactful as this particular game was. So I had no issue with Alatoa starting earlier. Now, Taniela Tupo has just absolutely gunned it. So sure, keep him in the starting team once Alatoa gets back. Um, maybe for the November, for the uh, spring tour. Keep, keep I, Nella I don't think Alatoa was coming back. I, I read somewhere that he was out for the rest of the year. Really? Okay. Yeah, that he was. He I went to sure stay for the rest of the year with his family, similar to um, Aaron Smith in New Zealand. Okay, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that one. So um, that that puts some big questions around what Dave Rennie does now for that three jersey for the spring tour. Whether we, you would imagine, Taniel Tupu would start most of those games, but we don't really have a hard set third choice in that position just yet. Yeah, that's, and that's one of the challenges I think that we'll hopefully have. Maybe we might see some changes within that position um, with the Argentinian matches, or maybe even with the pre-tour match against Japan on the way over to Europe. We might see some various combinations come in there to build a little bit of depth on that side of the scrum. Yeah, for sure. 
But we to to be fair on Tupo, we would not have scored that try in the 68th minute to Marika Korobetti had Alan Alatoa been on the field. Yep. Those hands were ridiculous. He had no <laughs> right to get that ball away. I was still watching him and Marika takes off. <laughs> how did... What? Yeah, <laughs> What's the, happening? <laughs> part of me just questions how necessary it was. He could have just done a normal two-handed pop pass. Like, he could have. But instead, he kind of does the, the hand out the front and then passing it across the body under the outstretched hand. Under, outstretched no, I, arm. I think it was very effective in what he did because even I was watching him expecting him to take the contact. And so the fact that he got the ball away without even looking meant that all of the South African defenders were looking at him, which created that space for Corabetti to run through and score. Oh, look, there was only one. I'm, I'm literally watching the clip right now. There's the winger who is taking on Taniella and takes a tackle. And then it's uh, two forwards. It's uh, Vermeulen and the lock who is not Etzebeth. I've forgotten what his name is. Um, um, yeah, so the, it's just the two of them that are yeah. trying to chase across. And look, they were never going to catch Marika. <laughs> but let's either not, way, who cares? Let's not talk it down. It let's awesome. not talk it down. It was fantastic. It, no, it was. It was, awesome. it was. I think it was unnecessarily awesome, but it was still awesome. <laughs> but it, the fact that it was unnecessary made it even better. Yeah. <laughs> you see Benny Alexander's better. tweet about that, just saying how he wishes that he could have been Taniela Tupo. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't i think we all do don't we <laughs> just uh, do everything uh now it was a great performance by the wallabies very well rounded in most aspects but mm. we do need to talk about our ability under the high ball yeah uh, and the fact that tom banks did go off with a broken wrist uh just after half time i can't yeah, remember it was what before time. it was about 35 okay so 35 minutes yes he comes off reese hodge goes into fullback which a lot of people have been talking about in the last yep. few weeks, getting someone else in that position. What yep. were your thoughts? Of, but first of all, what were your thoughts around Reese Hodge? And then what were your thoughts around our ability under the high ball? Um, so, yeah, I'll speak to the kind of Banks-Hodge swap. Um, I thought Banks actually had a really good first 30, 35. He had one or two communication errors with Nick White as to who was getting the ball. Usually it's the kind of fullback running onto the ball that should have the, um, the say. The person or the running forward, not the person it. running back. Yeah, yeah, but um, so I don't know where the communication error was there, but he actually had a really good game in attack and didn't seem to make any major mistakes. The thing that really frustrates me is how many haters there are on Tom Banks who just crap all over him. I really don't think he's been as poor as everybody makes out to be. Um, he has struggled under the high ball, though. Um, but then again, when Hodge is brought on, he was equally poor under the high ball. The thing that Hodge was fantastic at is his defense was so willing and he's such a hard ball runner as well as that when you do get it to him, yeah. he you know that he's going to be getting over the advantage line with the carries. He just doesn't have the pace of Banks, though. No, no, he doesn't. He yeah. doesn't. Um, so I thought I thought Hodge did okay, um, aside from the ability to take the high ball, which was really challenging. Um, and with that, I think that partly, partly we're just not set up well to be taking the high balls. We often don't get our blockers in place to protect the... Um, the jumper effectively enough and so also we've been up against the best one of the best box kicking teams in the world for the last two games like there's a reason why the box have been branded as playing boring rugby and it's, be it's because of the quality of the box aren't kicks. we the best box kicking team in the world hey what well on um <laughs> and so 
And so I just think that we haven't been getting our forward runners or our or our blockers in place to protect the oncoming fullback, winger, scrum yep. half, whoever it is that's taking the ball. And so that means that they're having to play with a lot of pressure on them as they're trying to collect that ball, which is just swirling around in the air. Um, I think we need to do a bit more structurally to support the catcher, but we also just need to body be able to catch the ball. Um, and look, that's just one of those areas that they haven't been good enough in and I need to keep working on. And that's what, it, just quietly, Dave Rennie, I love the man. One of the things that I really like about him in his post-match presses is that he very rarely um, makes excuses. But what he'll say is, we weren't good enough in that yeah. area. And that's a simple statement of ownership of the problem where they go, okay, that was my responsibility. I need to be better in that. And I just love that. I love that ownership. In some ways, he's, he's like that father that only says a few words and you know you've done the wrong thing. I know. He doesn't have to say a lot, but you just know that he's not impressed with you. And sometimes that hurts more. I'm not angry. Know that just, I'm just disappointed. Yeah. We just were poor there or we just weren't <laughs> good enough. And you're like, oh, yeah, we weren't. Um, but yeah, it is a bit worrying around our back, our back three at the moment. All of our first choice uh, fullback and wingers, none of them are consistently efficient under the high ball. We're dropping a lot of ball at the moment and yep. not all of them are under contestable situations. There are some situations where we are dropping balls when we shouldn't be. Um, yep. It is worrying. Uh, I don't know at the moment what the answer is to that situation. A lot of people are calling for James O'Connor to come in. I'm going to reserve a lot of that chat for th yeah, Thursday, sure. Pick and yep. Drive Live, because we'll dive into the team selections and we'll see then what, what, what Wallabies are thinking. Because James O'Connor will be back this week. He will have to come into that team now that Banks is out. Uh, it just depends on where. How bloody good is it to be celebrating the second win in a row over the world champion number one Springbok team? The Wallabies have just beaten the world champions twice in a row. The first match was tight. The second match was convincing. Like, who would have thought that coming into the rugby championship? I know. It's, we didn't. We no. didn't. We, we could be coming out of the rugby championship four from six. Yep. Which is fantastic. Yep. Like, that's... If we... We, depending upon bonus points, actually have a chance of winning this, of winning the rugby championship. It's still, it's still tight. Like, it's still pretty hard for us to do because South Africa have two bonus points and New Zealand have a bonus point, four bonus points. We've got one now. Yeah, so even if we point. do get two against Argentina, we need South Africa to beat New Zealand in the next two weeks for us to have a statistical chance. Yep. And even then, it might come down to four and against. And the fact that we are now probably <laughs> yep. sitting on, what, negative 40-something? I'm not quite sure. Negative 37. 37, okay, around then. Uh, it's still going to be pretty tough for us. But we've set ourselves up really, really well. And one other thing we also need to be aware of as Wallabies fans, that we've now moved up into third spot Woo! in the world. So in the last two weeks, we've gone from seventh to third. Now, try and figure that out. World rugby rankings are just an absolute nightmare. Well, well I kind of get it. How you can figure that out. Because um, you, the, the more, you get more points by beating a team that is significantly higher than you on the ladder. So if we beat Argentina, then that's not going to have much of a points difference at all for us. But winning two games against in a row against a top place team on the ladder means that we get a significantly greater point value or point allocation so it means that we can leapfrog other teams and we've got to remember the european teams aren't playing right now so yeah, that's what i'm that's that, what i mean how it, it's a little it's not really a real indication of performance at the moment because unless we're all playing at the same time 
We've got Wales currently sitting on ninth or something in the world, and they're not they're not the ninth best team well, in the world. Mate, come on, let's just take it. We're, we're sitting third. Stop nitpicking. <laughs> you tell I'm me to stop nitpicking. Confusing. I'll tell you to it's stop It's just nitpicking. confusing. We're third. Let's uh, celebrate. Let's celebrate. Anything else you wanted to say about this game, or should we move on to New Zealand oh, versus Argentina? Mate, I don't want to move on to New Zealand. I just want to talk about the Wallabies all night. Um, I, there's so much good work. Uh, Marika Corombete, there's a really, really good clip that is going around the um, Twitter sphere at the moment was it ek rugby analysis that it was from yes um that shows how in one of the scrums when Lockie swinton was off it's on the near side of the field uh, marika corambetti is packing down at six for the scrum as the ball breaks out from the scrum he then swaps over and starts sprinting across into the backfield to cover as fullback and then goes across to the wing and then is the first one into the subsequent ruck to then force a counter and a turnover with other players piling in behind him so in a space of about 20 seconds, he's covered the entire stretch of the field and forced an effective turnover. And it's just those moments where his class and ability and, and just engine shine above anyone else we have. I think Andrew finds a way, Kellaway, has <laughs> probably the best rugby brain out of our back three, but yep. he does not have the physicality, the engine, the motor that Mirika Corombete brings. And doesn't it really ask questions about a six then? Like if Marika as a winger is able to get off a scrum, get into the back line, and then also make that turnover, why are our sixes not able to do that? Oh, look, I mean, they're built for other things as well. They're built to probably push more at the scrum and to be able to get up in line outs and compete more at the breakdown. Um, so Marika didn't actually really compete at the breakdown. He no. got in there enough that other people were able to then shove behind him and get over the ball. But a player like Sean McMahon this week, hopefully, if we Ooh, see him, is more in line of a Marika Corabetti-style player than a Valentini or, or a Swinton. He does have a lot more pace in an engine, at least yeah. from what I last saw. I haven't watched him in a couple of years. All right. Any other points? Yeah, look, let's just quickly touch on Lockie Swinton um, and his yellow card. I, I don't think it should have been a yellow card. Um, Although, look, to be honest, he just needs to lower his tackle height in those upright scenarios. This is the second time now that that has happened, and the first time he got a red card for it, which was later rescinded. Um, But that was in a front series, wasn't it? And then uh, he just needs to get No, that was in the Super Rugby. It was what? That was the last Trans-Tasman game. Ah, okay, cool. That's right, it was. Hey, um, so he just needs to basically lower his tackle height slightly because he's going too upright within a tackle to try and make a dominant hit. And we know that he's that type of enforcer player who's trying to make that impact upon the attackers. But he's a little bit of a liability, and I'm hoping that we see Sean McMahon step in instead. Yeah, no, I agree. He he was too upright. I I think the fact that the referee talked himself into a red card was oh. puzzling. From that situation, and luckily we had an Australian Timo who talked him out of it. I was doing. He my was head. going. He was going in in circles, and he was really confusing himself in the the words that he was using, the way he was walking himself through the framework. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy with the yellow. I would have liked to have seen a penalty mm. because it was shoulder to shoulder and head on head. It was as much uh, the South African play Van Mulen's, I guess, fault as it was Swinton's. I don't necessarily agree with. The shoulder charge, I think his arm was wrapping, but um, there was contact to the head. So, we do need to take that into consideration. No way at all is that a red card, though. Yeah, mate, they're both bracing for it. They know the hit's about to happen. He ducks his... The South African ducks his... It was um, Vermeulen at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. he ducks his shoulder knowing the hit's about to happen. Swain... um, 
sorry, Swinton. not Swain. Swinton ducks his shoulder, knowing that he's about to smash him. But his arm is trying to wrap around him as well. Uh, I'm so glad we didn't get a red card there. I could handle a yellow after <laughs> there'd been a mention of head on head. I'm looking at a red card. I'm like, oh my God, no. This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, can I just say that Andre Pollard probably had one of his worst games for the Springboks in recent memory. Like, he's, he was better off the boot. He had 100% kicking accuracy off the boot, but his defensive play was incredibly poor. Um, he dropped off two tackles in the lead up to, I think it was Iketau's, um second try. He dropped off the tackle on Taniela Tupo and then missed another tackle and slid off the tackle on him, whoever got out to Iketau. So he was just defensively really, really poor. And can I just say as well... How good is Quade Cooper's defence currently? He made the most tackles out of the entirety of the Wallabies team. He made 15 tackles. Guess how many he missed? One. None. None? 15 no. and none. Hooper made 20. Not on Hooper my made, things. Hooper made 20 of 20. Really? I've seen that reported, yeah. Okay, the stats I'm looking at on ESPN are saying 13 for Hooper and missed none. Um, uh, I think Hooper tackled a few more times and got some turnovers than Cooper did. But no, Cooper was strong. He was, and he we was will, awesome. We have some hot takes that have come in yeah, um, yeah. in the hot take section that we will talk a little bit more around those sort of things. All right, so I'm, I think there is a little bit more that will come in in that hot take section. So why don't we move on to the New Zealand versus Argentina game? Yeah, um, cool. And then we'll get into that. So Argentina hosted New Zealand on sun- Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, the second of the double header fixtures. Uh, unfortunately, they came away thirteen to thirty six to New Zealand. So New Zealand came away with the chocolates. Uh, New Zealand did enough to beat coming into this game because Australia had beaten South Africa. New Zealand needed to beat Argentina by fifteen points or more to take top spot. They had a fifteen point buffer at halftime and they cruised home. In the second half, 36-13. And they are now, New Zealand is now back at number one in the world. I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of this game. I've watched bits and pieces. Uh, what were your general thoughts from this game, Ando? Argentina are trash at the moment. <laughs> um, and it's just really disappointing because they were coming along so well that their performance has just been really, really bad. Um, and that carries across from the South African matches where they were really just timid and tepid within their ability to execute anything offensive like they're fronting up in the defense and trying to make tackles and their forwards are putting in a shift but the back line just seems to have no direction and no incisive power within what they're trying to do and the decision um to move oh, who was who did they move into fly half this week uh Buffelli? no Buffelli um, was at um 11 carreras was it carreras yeah, Carreras. It could have been. Yeah, um, yeah. he was just seemed a little bit out of his depth. I, obviously, they lacked combinations with the back line. There was just really not that much that was on show that made me think that, look, this is a team that actually could challenge the All Blacks. And I mean, I'm, I, I'm saying this now knowing that Argentina have the capa- capacity to be a really good team. And that every now and then they can just pull out a monstrous performance like they did beating New Zealand last year. But we should be able to beat them in our next two games. And if we don't, then that's a poor performance considering how poor the Argentinians have been. I think we have to be realistic about Argentina's situation at the moment as well. And yeah, yeah. taking back in and looking at where they were this time last year is con- complete contrast to where they are now. 
So they came together. They had just played Super Rugby 2020, I believe, or 2019 was the their last year in Super Rugby in the as the Haguaris. They then, as a team, pretty much stayed together, went to the World Cup, but they also played um, before the Rugby Championship last year or the Tri-Nations. They played Randwick mm. as a team, as a warm-up game, and then they played, or was that 2019. It might have been 2019, actually, now that I think about it, pre-World Cup. Anyway, they came together, and from 2019, end of Super Rugby, into 2021, they stayed together as a squad majority. They didn't leave and, and go all over the place. Now, there is no Haguaris in 2021. This team dispersed completely, and they've all been all over the world, playing in Europe, playing in yep. France, playing in Japan, playing in Australia, some of their players. So they've got no continuity there. They came together two weeks before or a week before the South Africa game. They hadn't played together at all, thrown together, put in a performance. Now, they have not had time together as a team to gel and move and prepare into a, a rugby championship against the, the top three te- nations in the world. That's a massive ask. But they, if we don't have some competition to include Argentina in, like a domestic or a, a level below, it's like a super rugby type level, these results are going to continue. Yep. If there's no way for their team to to gel as a team, to play in a provincial style competition together, then their results are going to get worse. Yeah, I think we've seen the benefit for a while now, the Jaguares and what they've done for the Pumas. So for Argentinian rugby as a national, on a national level. And so now we're seeing the reverse of that with the Jaguares taken away. Um, they have obviously been declining. Now, that's not to say, like I mentioned before, they're not capable of more. Um, I thought that the Kiwis were actually really, really good here. The news, um, I thought particularly that Damien McKenzie was quite good at 10. I really like the way that he's making himself available for second phase play or a second pass off um, general play. So say off a scrum, he'll pass the ball off to maybe a one of the centers and then he'll be looping around the back, maybe looking for the pop pass or at the very least, very least being set up for the next phase. And there's just a little bit of me that wants him to get his hands a bit more on the ball because the back line and basically the entire New Zealand team has such a damage runners who can offload in contact that I think it's best in their mind for their game if they just keep the ball alive as much as possible um, and Damien McKenzie getting a second or third touch within the same kind of play would be an excellent opportunity for him to use his pace and agility to unlock the defense yep definitely uh, I don't have much else to add to this game other than it really was what we expected I don't see Argentina I mean they will be looking at Australia as a team that they were going to potentially knock off in this competition but the form that we've just put in against south africa the fact that we're now holding uh the rayburn shield and and moving into um contention of top spot second or third on the table uh i don't see argentina being able to really match us or come close to us in these next two games that's the hope anyway we say that i say that genuinely humbly knowing that Argentina can put in good performances. So it may well not turn out like that. But hey, two games in a row. That equals consistency for us, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Yeah, well, if we can keep that for a third, then who knows? Shall we head into the locker room or the hot take section? 
<laughs> the hot locker room, the hot take room. Uh, hot basically, room. we asked you guys straight after the match as what what your hot takes were, what the comments and questions banter that you guys wanted to throw at us for this week's pod. And we had so many come in. But what I wanted to start with is we've we got to start off with one of the uh, pod favorites is Bastard Sheep or Sheepy. And he asked, what would the team say to suggestion Rennie has been training the Wallabies to counter the spring box at the expense of countering the All Blacks? This game plan should work against northern hemisphere teams too if we get this right then work on different plan for the all blacks uh mitch what do you think about this one is there a discernible game plan that the wallabies put out here that was different to how they were trying to play for the all blacks no i, I don't think there is i uh, i believe with this team and Rennie does say this a lot up in post-match that they're very much focusing on their performance and I don't think they're changing their game plan too much depending on who they're playing. They're just focusing, and, and Michael Hooper says this as well, they're focusing on themselves putting in a real 80-minute performance. So I don't necessarily think that Dave Rennie has changed his game plan or his approach when we came up against South Africa than when we played the All Blacks. I think there has been a few changes in personnel that from the All Blacks games into yep. the Springboks game. So we've got Samu Krevry and Quade Cooper who have made massive impacts on the team around them and have allowed a lot more flow on and a lot more continuity of play that we were lacking in, in the All Blacks. But at the same time, the Springboks have not been at the level the All Blacks have been at. So a lot of the mistakes that we made or the points that the All Blacks scored in the Bledisloe this year were from mistakes that we were making. And so they were punishing us. Every simple mistake we made, they were scoring off. The Springboks are not at that level at the moment, so they allowed us to play better. Um, I don't think that the game plan has changed. I think we performed better as a team this week, but we were also not playing against the All Blacks. So I personally think if we were to play the All Blacks next week, I'm glad we're not, but we would probably see a similar result to probably Bledisloe 2 or 3. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, why don't we keep moving forward because we do have a lot to get through, so yeah. you might just do one comment uh, per per. Uh, tweet or comment that's come in. Mm -hmm. So next up is Hugh Tyndall. I feel Bobby Valentini has finally arrived. Absolute rock in defense. Good for the game line. If he develops better running link and offload game, he could be great. Also, Rodder was an unsung hero doing all the work in tight. Always forgiven. Hope we don't get complacent for next week. Yeah, I'll comment to this one. I yep. really like what Bobby Valentini is bringing. I particularly thought Rodder was really good within this game as well. There was a stat last week that he didn't make a tackle. No. He didn't make a run last week. Um, but that was because he was doing all the heavy lifting in tight. He was a rock monkey for the entirety of the game. Yeah. And I was keeping a closer eye on him this week, and he was doing much the same, getting heavily involved with the clear outs, making sure that he was staying close to the ball carrier and there securing the ball really, really quickly. So I thought he's been a great addition. Um, and I'm keen to see the Wallabies back up with a third consistent performance now I just jason quickly Sherman. say before before we move off on this one just quickly and i won't do this for you're gonna do this every time aren't no, you? no i won't i won't do it every time i promise Ugh. i think it's funny that we we talk about players like rodder not getting involved as much with the ball and being quite quiet but then at the same time when philip his center locking partner throws a cutout ball and ends up getting intercepted by the all blacks we're all smashing him and saying why is the second row are you throwing a cutout ball this is not your place it's yeah. just very funny how fickle rugby fans are so if you're quiet <laughs> and you only do a few things that aren't seen everyone's saying you did nothing um if you do one thing wrong and you're too much on the ball you're getting blamed for doing the wrong thing as well Good on Rodder, though. He made one run this week. So that's well, an improvement. Well, he's improving week on week, right? Week on that's week. That's all we want. 
Yep, just consistency. Got to get better. Incremental improvement. All right, Jason Sherman. Since when is Quaid a good defender? He had box running at him left and right, but held up pretty all right, even made some dominant tackles. WTF Quaid. That's a really good question. Like we said before, he did not miss a single tackle. And in the stats that I'm looking at, he had 15 tackles with no missed tackles. So huge, huge work there. Um, He's obviously, he's in incredible physical form. And he's obviously had some time to just work in his defense. And uh, he just stood up really well to the tackles. I know that Dialende was targeting him massively with his heavy carries. Am I allowed to answer this one? Yeah, sorry. I just went ahead with that. I didn't no, that's all right. Over. That's all right. I just want to say, <laughs> I, I do wonder if we have seen for Wallabies teams over the last few years, particularly when Quaid was dominant uh, in like the 2010, 11, 12, those years, that they had a, a defensive game plan of hiding their playmakers in defense. Yeah. So they often shift them out to the wing or fullback position and bring someone else in. We're not doing that now. And it seemed pointless at the time because it was just shuffling the back line and just confusing everyone. It was too overcomplicated for the players. So I wonder if the reason that Quaid's actually making tackles is because he's told to just stand in the 10 channel and tackle anyone that runs at him. Don't worry about, okay, so at this next breakdown, uh, you need to swap out with Haylett Petty, who's going to come into the line, or, or um, Tom Banks or whoever's playing fullback come into the line. Kellaway's going to take fullback. You're going to play here and here and here. Just simple. Stay in the 10 channel, tackling on that runs at you. Yep. Wonder yep. if that's just what it is. Yeah, I think so. That was a huge critique of um, the defense on Nathan Gray, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Trying to was, hide our deficiencies. Yeah. yeah, let's not go into that. All right. Uh, Nelson Dale has said uh, Vincent Cock clearly thumbed Quaid in the eye. The ref and anyone saying it didn't happen are as blind as Quaid is now. <laughs> Luckily, Quaid isn't blind after the game. Um, look, I. Something happened there. I'm not sure if I can conclusively say that it was a gouge, and I hope that the match review panel pick it up after the game. Not too sure how much more we need to say on that one. So, able, willing, New Zealand. Awesome, guys. Congrats, Wallaby. So happy for them and all you Aussie fans. Well deserved. Thank you. Genuinely, you thank you. Take that. And when it comes from a Kiwi, it just means so much more. Yeah. So, we will take that. I'm feeling it right here. Yeah. I'm feeling yeah, I'm it happy. right here. Thank you. I mean, I was happy before. I'm even more happy now. <laughs> Okay, Ryan at Celtic334. So good. What the last two weeks have shown is A, playing New Zealand regularly distorts reality. B, we can talk combos, cohesion, etc. Uh, back, you can't beat Clark, but you can't beat but class, can't which beat is Karevi Cooper. Uh, C, Tupo is a starter. D, does playing in Japan reduce your standard? Cooper, Karevi, Hooper, Retallick, Perinara. Mitch, over to you. Uh, so I'll start with the first one, or the last one first. So D, does playing in Japan reduce your standard? There's one thing that has I've seen bandied around this week in that particularly Retallick, Perinara and Hooper have come out and said that playing in Japan is a different style of rugby and they've come back leaner and fitter players than they do playing in Australia because they're not so much focused on uh, the weights and putting on strength and putting on muscle that they're more looking at being aerobic and running around the field. So that's doing dividends to us at the moment. Maybe that's something we need to look at in the off-season as a strength and conditioning focus for Rugby Australia moving forward. Uh, two weeks in a row play, uh, playing New Zealand regularly just all its reality. Look, it's really too early at the moment to say conclusively. Uh, con- conclusively, yeah. What's the word there? Is that a right? The right word. Anyway, Depends it's too early to say at the moment if we perform well because we had played New Zealand or or not. I don't. It's it's a really tough one. It's a flip of the coin kind of thing. Like you could say that the only reason we won against the Springboks is because we'd played New Zealand six times or five times in the last two years, where they haven't. Um, but you could also say that we played well this week and fans engaged because we weren't playing New Zealand and it was a different opposition. So 
it's really too hard to say that at the moment. Uh, combos, cohesion, yes, it, it it's also hard to have to say that either as well. With Krevi and Cooper, they are star players. So we could be bringing in someone like Foley instead of Cooper, which I know Rennie was uh, sort of sending feeders out for. Uh, I don't think he would have had the same impact that Cooper's having at 10. Um, mm. So I do think that comes down to star factor as well. Tupo, yeah, I'm happy to see him start for a little while. Yep, cool. All right, good good coverage of it. So let's move forward now into Barton Willis, who has a couple here. Um, Tupo, not sure if it's his power or his boring in, but regardless, it's creating question marks in a ref's head and Swinton's game doesn't agree with world rugby laws. To the last part, yes. To the first part, yeah, I think it's a bit of a combination. He, he does angle in a bit at times, but I mean, so many props do, and it's a case of if they get pulled up on it or not. Um, plus, he's just so powerful that a part of it is the inability of his op- opponent to act actually stay square with him um, when when Tupo's trying to drive between a gap between a prop and a hooker. So I think it's a bit of a combination. It's him targeting that point, but also having the power to be able to um, dominate his opponent. And then jumping ahead to the extra button Willis tweet that he put out there, seeing it live, how's Nick Berry involved with the Reds? He's so small. Uh, he was scrum half, mate. They can be tiny. Um, he was a scrum half, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Look at Nick yeah. Phipps. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, cool. Uh, old Glory and Sydney rugby fan. Just watched, delayed, but knowing, but not knowing the result. Exhilarating. Initial thought was that South Africa targeted Cooper in defense and Cooper really stood up there. Impressive to see. We've already Fantastic. spoken to that, so thank you. Yep. Uh, now for Jamie um, winning Trump's strict adherence to Giddo causes it's time to get our absolute best 23 playing together as much as possible in a lead up to Rugby World Cup 2023 Mitch any quick comments knowing that we've spoken about that a little already uh, it's a caused catch 22 at the moment for me uh, yes we need to be winning I want to see our best team go into the Rugby World Cup in 2023 but I also don't want to completely uh, demolish our super rugby stocks at the at the sake of that and come 2024 have no one in Australian Super Rugby who's over the age of 22. Yep, yep. I hear that. Okay, uh, Christy and Willie K. I can't wait for Razzie's rant this week. It's going to be biblical. I really hope something comes out. And just quietly, World Rugby, can you sanction him already for for the one in a um, British and Irish Lions test? Like, that's still there's still no result from that yet. And it's they well over a out. month after. Yeah, maybe. Or they're just waiting long enough until they can just do a, a little kind of press release on a Friday afternoon. So... Nobody pays any attention to it. Um, <laughs> Harrison Dale, my hot take. The last 20 years have been an elaborate plan by Rugby AU so that sweeping the rest of the world from 2021 to the end of time tastes so much sweeter. Um, if that actually is the case, Rugby Australia, I hate you. <laughs> oh, that- but if if we are going to be the best in the world for the next for the rest of time, oh, I will take what? it. I will take it. Yeah, to the end of time, I, I skipped over that part. Because uh, the worst is behind us. Yeah, well, okay. All right. Okay, you know what? I'll take it. If, if that's <laughs> the end result, then yeah, that's fine by me. Nick Sharp. It. A bit late to the party, but I think Taniela has to start going forward. I was fine with him being a finisher, though we brought him. thought we brought him on too late versus the All Blacks, though. But last night showed we get the best impact out of him from the first whistle. Feel for Alan and the others who have left for their child's birth. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. As the replacements have really stepped up, great for the squad to see such competition for places. I think we've already spoken to that, so we'll just comment and say thank you for the comment. Agreed on many fronts. Yep. Uh, Tony Leach. How good were the Brumbies players under pressure from the public, e.g. Ikatao Banks before injured? I agree with that one. White and Valentini. Mitch. What, what's he talking about? Not He's basically pressure, there saying how good were the Brumbies 
players because there'd been a lot of chat, particularly from people like you, about the Brumbies' dominance within the squad considering the Reds were actually the Super Rugby champions. All I was saying was that there was two Queensland Reds players picked in the squad last this week. Good to see that the players won. Um, and, the, and they all played well. It was good to see. But there are there were some questions around selection policy had it not gone the right way. Um, but that's all. I, I didn't think there was much pressure on Ikitao, White or Valentini. I thought everyone was of the opinion that they were playing well. Um, Banks was the one that people were talking about, I thought. Yeah, big time. Okay, if the refs... John uh, Shadlow. If the refs nearly talked themselves into a red for Swinton's eventual yellow card, how's the box yellow at the death? Definitely not a red card. Uh, look, I think it should have been a red card at the end of the game. Um, it was a shoulder directly to the head when there was no realistic way in which he was going to be clearing him out. In my mind, that's a red card. But I kind of don't want to talk about the rest too much more because we do want to get through the rest of the Can I quickly just say something? Comments. Yeah, let's go. I do wonder if this was a, rea- a result of the Rassi Erasmus video and the fact that world rugby is now being... Uh, questioned by South Africa at every refereeing decision. The way that this referee particularly handled the framework for this instant was completely different to the way that he handled Swinton's. He went at red for the beginning for Swinton's one and, and kept having to kept talking himself around and around and around and had to be talked out of a red from the TMO to go down to yellow. He wasn't even considering any mitigating circumstances at all. Now, this one, when he went into the South African instance, he was looking for every mitigation possible. He was talking about the player trying to get underneath the player on the ground. He was talking about a wrapping arm. Like, none of that was actually evident at all. And the TMO kept showing him to say, no, you need to give this a red card. He didn't specifically say it. But I do wonder if there is now something in the back of the referee's heads saying, if I give a red card to a South African player, I'm going to now be questioned by the Springboks uh, administration and I'm going to have to face an inquiry from World Rugby. Yeah. I wonder, it wouldn't be like a a, um, a thought that is directly present, but maybe no. an influencing But it's like a precedent that's been set. Yeah. It's a precedent that's been set. And so I do wonder if the... If the officials are now a little bit wary of going harsh on South Africa because of that. All right. I'm going to need to skip through a couple of these because we are going very on because it was been a, it's been a good weekend of rugby. So let's go to uh, Nick Wasiliev. Was that the full team performance under Rennie? Last week, we were gutted by Cooper and Hooper. This week, all the boys stood up to join them. I think, yes, it probably is the first full team performance. Let's move yep. on. Um, Jock Cudmore. I hate it, but... I hate to say it, but do we need to go league and use a report system? No one truly likes winning because of cards. The refs can't get it right, so why leave it up to them? Save cards for clear and obvious foul play. Any hint of doubt, put them on report. Thoughts? Yeah, I don't have any issue with that. I could see it working. I really mm. could. Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, Rob McKay, some context for the win. It's the first time since the World Cup. It's the first time since the World Cup holders have been beaten twice in a row. It happened to the 2007 uh, South African team in 2008. 10 and 11 so that is mighty not since 2010 by the same team new zealand so basically we've done a good job beating the world cup holders twice in a row rugby fixation rev has got in touch and said our best 23 is taking shape we've developed fantastic backups too hot take alert one three seven eleven and twelve uh world 15 contenders three of them are locked in i wonder which three are locked in that's that's a pretty big hot take. We have six test caliber back rowers, yet use our seventh best. Uh, who's that? Swinton he's probably talking about there. 
And this I is, does um, not like Swinton. Yeah, he, he <laughs> so, hates yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, Callaway is the best rugby brain in, in the rugby championship wings. Yeah, yeah I'd agree with that sure. from a rugby brain oh, point sure. of view. Uh, yeah. Maybe George Bridge. George Bridge could well be up there as well. He's he's very positionally, tactically aware too. I, I highly rate him. Uh, and then Krevi Ikatao statues are planned. <laughs> so, uh, good. Get them out of front of Suncorp Stadium. But, That'd be brilliant. Oh, uh, let's put him down. Let's put him down in uh, Canberra though. Oh, we've yeah. got we've got a few statues out the front of uh, of Suncorp, don't we? This is true. This is true. Yeah, let's put it uh, down in the stadium. <laughs> this is my favorite comment that we got from the entire weekend from Mick Ryan. Michael Hooper is not only our most valuable player, but also an immense leader. On an unrelated note, don't go back through my tweets. And you know what, Mick? <laughs> I love that. And I really respect you because you had an opinion about Michael Hooper as a captain, that maybe he shouldn't be the captain. Uh, that was separate to him being a player. And you are willing to revise that based upon the fantastic performances that he's put in both as a player and a captain. So well done to Hoops, but also well done for being a human that's willing to recognize that maybe an opinion he had might have been proved wrong. And that happens to all of us regularly, and many of us don't admit it as well as you did. So well done. Um, done. Okay, that's reached the end, mate. We have finished it. So thank you so much. Anything else you wanted to quickly comment on before we move on? I'm happy. We've got a fair bit to go still in the pod. So let's, uh, let's just get on into it. All right, let's jump in. Let's go. All right, we have a very exciting guest joining us now. We've got Dave from England, who is the founder and current uh, runner of the Rayburn Shield. Uh, thanks for joining us this evening, Dave. Absolute pleasure. I'm slightly nervous at the description from England. Just to be clear, I'm Kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> you will pick that up as we uh, chat through. Yes, he's, <laughs> he's sitting there with his All Blacks hat on, nice and proud uh, as we were recording. So... Dave, before we get into things, what is, for those who are not really sure or haven't heard of this shield before, what is the Rayburn shield? Yeah, it's a good question. So first up, all, all honesty, it's not real uh, and doesn't have a real shield yet, but it will do in time. I'm patient. Essentially, <laughs> if you go back to the first ever game of international rugby, it was in 1871 between England and Scotland. It was played in Rayburn Place. Scotland won it. And you then just treat it like a boxing title. Whoever wins it has to defend it in every match they play. And so Scotland actually lost it to England the following year. And since then, it's changed hands 203 times. Wow. And the wow. current holders of it are the Wallabies. So the Wallaby team right now can lay claim to being at the end of a line of winners, tracing all the way back to 1871. And, and it's, it's, you know, it gives you that kind of thread through history of, of success. So, you know, it's named after the first location of that game. And... It needs to be made real so that we've got that theatre added back into our international matches. Yeah. I think we should just kind of cancel the rest of the international window uh, for the rest of the year and just say, yep, Aussies, champions, holders of the Rayburn Shield. Just Although we're up to game. third in the rankings. <laughs> That's yeah, good. That's the biggest thing in rugby. How good. Yeah. Oh, it goes, and it, you know, it's, it's not real so that the players don't realise it. But imagine if they did and they knew that not only had they taken, you know, the kind of, let's say, the, the mojo out of the Springbok sales, but they'd also taken that kind of winner's trophy from the whole of rugby's history. Um, and now they've got to defend it, you know. So now Argentina will be excited about getting a shot at it. Uh, they get two bites of the cherry. Who knows if they can do it or not, you know. That's right. That's super and exciting. And I, I guess, as you've mentioned, it's not, it's not a physical thing at the moment, um, but it, it, it is growing in rugby terms. It is being thrown around there on social media. People definitely know about it. How much yeah. involvement have you had from sort of official channels or official teams 
Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So not a great deal yet. Uh, I think there's quite a lot of people that know about it. We've not been able to get kind of official responses from World Rugby, though in truth, I don't expect that at this point. I think the way the Shield becomes real is through the fans. I think as we get the chatter going and we get the fans following it and supporting it, there becomes this kind of groundswell where they have, they have no choice but to recognise it. And that's really what I want to get it to. I don't want them to be in a place where they're going, oh, maybe we'll do this and force it. I'd rather we had the fans recognising it, chatting about it, and World Rugby just saying, we need a piece of this pie and, and recognising it. And, and not just the Raven Shield, there's also the Utrecht Shield, which yep. traces women's international rugby since the first match in 1982. Um, so who are the current enough, holders of the Utrecht Shield? Sorry to interrupt, uh, so who are the holders? Fern. Yeah, so ah. the Black Ferns are the current holders. And actually the Wallaroos are the next team to get a challenge in October. Yep. Uh, so if the Wallabies can hold on to the Rayburn Shield, you could have both the men's and women's versions at the same time, which would be cool. Though, so, I mean, right. beating the Black Has Ferns. That happened? Has that happened? Do in you the know past? what? It must have done, but I can't think of a specific example. Uh, but the Black Ferns have held it quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, and the All Blacks, fair to say, have had a, a pretty good success rate with the Rayburn Shield as well. So I'd, I'd almost undoubtedly think they would have. I'm looking that up right now whilst you guys are chatting. I want to find out the answer. That's, in, that's <laughs> fascinating. I love this. And so yeah, from it's, I mean, statistics and things, you've got a, an idea of how long, it, which nation has held it for the longest? Yeah, so the All Blacks have held it for 18 matches in a row. Um, and so actually one of the interesting things is if there's a draw, because that's a common question that comes up, if there's a draw, the holder retains it. Yeah. Um, so the All Blacks came to it. They did 18 matches. It was... Uh, there was a draw in the middle of it, which is what helped extend it um, to, to such a long time. You know, I think thinking of the Wallabies, for instance, I'm, I think eight is their maximum. And actually, I'm putting together something right now that I'll release over the next few days on the social media channels that shows the matches that they played for those eight, which are their record. Because actually, it's kind of interesting to look back and see where that, that success for them was and, and then start spitballing about whether they could do it this time. Because they've got two matches deep this time. They've got two matches against Argentina. They'll be hoping they can do that. And yep. then a Northern Tour. They could reach eight. Could happen. It could happen. Um, we, could, we could also be tripped up and lose it overseas. And, and we were talking a little yeah. bit about this before we went live and, and started recording. But it's such an interesting thing to, to kind of start to uh, work out the path of, of challenges that are coming up. So we were talking about the All Blacks yeah. not having a shot at the Rayburn Shield for a few years now. And the fact that uh, the Wallabies now hold it means that yeah. they may not get another shot at it for a year or two if we do end up giving it over to, say, England or Wales. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a Kiwi myself, I was supporting the Springboks on the weekend, whole honesty. Uh, I quite like seeing the Wallabies do well, but from a Rayburn Shield perspective, we just haven't had a chance. And it was a sliding doors moment of if the box got it, I knew we had a shot. Yeah. But now, who knows? I think maybe there's some permutations where you could lose it to a Wales, and I think we're playing Wales later in the tour but the timing has to match and you have to have not already lost the shield or indeed lose the shield to that team. So you start trying to look at where can I get my chance? Uh, and that's actually the fun of the shield. And I think that would be, you know, as it gets more well-known, that's the thing for the players as well as they know this is their chance. And so if I'm an all black player right now and I'm maybe in the team for two or three years, I've never held it. Uh, there's all sorts of cool things I can talk about, but I've never held the shield and I don't know when I'll get a shot. And so this weekend that, as a supporter, you're kind of going, oh, come on, come on. I need the box to take it. Um, though, I'll be honest, I just smiled for the Wallabies when they actually won because they needed this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so badly. Yeah, they need Yeah. 
and I was like, and you know, ultimately, just like actually, I want a strong Wallaby team. So not playing the All Blacks for a while gives them a chance to show what they've really got. Yeah, um, you know, but but yeah, that sliding doors thing's really interesting. And so I've I've talked to other people I know, and you were mentioning about how big it's getting online. My greatest pleasure is when people mention it to me who don't know me. Uh, you know, because I'm a solo, I'm solo running it here. And so there's something really special where you're like, oh yeah, I do know about that actually. <laughs> I happen to be the guy posting all that stuff. <laughs> That's um, me. <laughs> yeah, you know. But then it's really nice because you get people who are going for, you know, I had a couple of Irish people I was speaking to who are like, oh yeah, I think this is the way that we could get a shot at this year. Um, and then, you know, the English kind of working out how they could get a turn at getting a shot this year. And so that's the bit where it starts to get really fun, I think. Yeah, and sure. also promote you like supporting and watching other teams. Yep. Um, All right. I, I have an answer for you, by the way. Uh, February yeah. 2019, England. Prior oh, to yeah, that, it was New Zealand um, in 2016, November of 2016. Which I think is pretty much the last time New Zealand held the Rayburn Yeah, show, correct. Actually. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. You know, the England women team, women's team have been very successful with the Utrecht Shield. Um, yeah. They've been really, really remarkable, actually. They held it for long periods through the kind of 2010 to 2016 period. Um, yeah. Yeah, they held it up until time. 20 July, August of 2019. June, July, July yeah. of 2019 is when they gave it up to New Zealand. They've held it ever since. Well, there's hardly been any international rugby in the last two years. So it's been a bit stagnant on that front for the women's game. Yeah, it has. Well, and to be honest, same with um, it's been almost a two-year break for the Raven Shield because the yeah. Wallabies, um, and of course the Wallabies actually are the team who have held it by the longest time and days because they held it through World War Two. <laughs> so <laughs> through World War Two, they held it, and so they just had they've got this like crazy number of years where they're undefeated. If you just take it in a purely time perspective, um, we'll and actually it. they held it through World War One as well. So I just think whenever. The Springboks hold the Rayburn Shield. You need to look out because we had World War One, we had World War Two, a global <laughs> pandemic. It's all the bloody box fault. Yeah. No. Wow. So yeah. Where did, I'm this, um, where did this idea come from? It was just a conversation on a on a website. So it was Rugby Rebels, which is a, is a rugby forum that's still around today, uh, not as active as it once was. But it was like 0708, and there was a bunch of us talking about statistics, and I think we we're all a bit sad about losing the 07 Rugby World Cup. Uh, thought maybe there's a better way to judge success <laughs> and kind of stumbled on this idea of tracing a line of winners since 1871 and as we put the data together we're like this is really interesting you know and actually we can name it after the location of that first match and that that's a genuine sense of history you know people sometimes want to name these things after themselves don't they yeah. not interested in that I just want this this to be real because I think it adds something to us as fans for, for rugby and so from there I you know we set it up on the forum and probably you know since like 2010 or so i've just been running solo with it i was like i believe in it and i think it should be a real thing and they'd probably be in the abyss now but i just i'm a patient man it will be real uh might be by the time my son's a grown man but it'll happen uh, you know, i love that enthusiasm so, completely and i mean we're, we're probably going to need to wrap things up pretty quickly because there's so much that we've been talking about this evening. We don't want the pod to go for about weekend, two yeah. hours. Oh, it's, <laughs> yep. Uh, the, the pods get longer as the games get better. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. if people wanted to find a bit more about the Rayburn Shield, if you just wanted to spruik it a little bit more, A, where can people find you? And then B, what would you be hoping that people are doing? You spoke then just about the kind of the, the groundswell of fan acknowledgement that may well be how this moves from an idea to a reality. Yeah, yeah, so I appreciate the question, actually. 
the social media probably is the best place to look. So we've got a Facebook page, we've got Twitter, we've got Instagram, and I put regular content on there that one keeps you up to date with who holds it and who's challenging for it next, but also kind of interesting facts from the history. And the biggest thing you could do for us is to comment on it, to share it. You know, if you see something interesting, drop it into the rugby forums that you're talking about, talk in the rugby clubs that you're in. It just, it's about spreading that word and making sure people know about it. If you have contacts within the rugby fraternity who you think might be able to help influence, get in touch with me. Uh, the contact us details on the website will get straight through to me and uh, I'll be more than happy to get in touch and, and, and do anything that comes through there. But the biggest thing is talk about it. Uh, that's how we make it real. We make it real by following it and enjoying it. Brilliant. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight, Dave. And if we didn't say it before, we will say it again now. The Wallabies are the current holders of the Ray Bourne Shield. Get in. To Congratulations. In. <laughs> well, Argentina will be coming for you. They haven't held it since 1985. So, uh, you know, they've got some skin to get in the game. Yeah, but you've been playing great rugby, so let's let's see. I, I think you could, might actually last a while now. Let's hope so. That's what we're hoping for. So let's let's hope so. But awesome! Thank you so much for your time tonight, yeah. Dave. And um, yeah, we look forward to seeing where this project moves on to in, in the future. All right. Cheers, Dang. much appreciated. Hitting up the news now. We are going to begin overseas with the Premiership telling you all in pretty excited terms and hopefully pretty excited tones that Stan Sport has picked up the English Premiership. So you can now get us a part of your regular Stan Sports package if you have it. So you can have Super Rugby, Rugby Championship, um, Football Champions League, uh, Tennis as well, and now the English Premiership, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Mitch, how did you respond to this news when you heard it? Yeah, I was pumped. I didn't even know this was coming. I just Logged into Stan Sport one day on Friday and saw all the Premiership teams line, games lined up and very excited to be able to watch them. And I also, what I think is awesome about this product is they're also doing the highlights and the mini packages for the games. So it's yeah. giving the fans that much more access to more rugby from around the world. Uh, it's really, Stan Sport is now becoming the one-stop shop for rugby, which is fantastic. Uh, also some pretty big news from the weekend or from overseas, sorry, is some interesting developments that are coming out of the premiership in terms of technology to monitor, uh, the impact and the concussion impact of rugby on players. So Harlequins last season when actually won the premiership, uh, this was an aspect of their victory where they had, um, mouth guards, which had microchips tracking the movement of the body. And because it's within the mouth, it can then track the impact of tackles and hits and stuff like that upon upon the players so they can see a little bit more have a little bit more data on the workload that players were going through and so they found that basically players they, they reduced the amount of contact within the week because of the amount of data they were getting about the not the concussions but the heavy impacts the players were receiving and it seems to be credited towards some of the reason why they had such an excellent, excellent season and actually took out the premiership last season. So all the premiership teams this year are using that same mouth guard technology and it may well provide some more information and some more data which can be used for further decisions to protect players and ensure their welfare and safety after the game. Yeah, that's, it's an awesome, it's a good step forward. The fact that you can also get this data in real time so that a sports physiotherapist or someone can be sitting on the sideline and watching the progress of all of the players currently on the field and start to see where there's been big, been big head contact, 
where players are and their bodies are reacting to those kinds of big hits. So it's it's a really good step in the right direction. This technology coupled with the uh, smart rugby balls that they're trialing in South Africa and, and some of the lower English Premier Leagues is quite interesting to see where our sport will be in the next few years that we're going to have technology that's really stepping in and hopefully improving player safety but also improving officiating and the way that the game is is adjudicated um, with some of the technology that's coming in. So it's, it's a good thing and I'm excited to see where we go in the next few years. Yeah, well, let's see where it comes. But that's that's interesting news to keep an eye on, yeah. the impact of the technology on the game. Uh, now, staying kind of with that overseas bent, there has been some conversation in the last week regarding, and it's probably only going to heighten after the result in the weekend, um, about the changes to the Giddo Law. Or I guess it's the expansion of the Giddo Law, because technically if you're scrapping a Giddo Law, you're not actually bringing any overseas players in. But there has been the desire to with the impact that say Quade Cooper and Sami Karevi have had on the Wallabies for the last couple of weeks there's this, there's been this really clear desire from Rugby Australia and now it's coming out within the media to get players such as Will Skelton, Rory Arnold, Tolu Latu as well um obviously Marika Corombete when he goes to is Panasonic Wild Knights he's going to yeah. isn't it yeah yeah okay um Sami Karevi again when he goes back um, at the end of this international window Quay Cooper. Actually, Quay Cooper qualifies because he's got the 70 caps. Um, Sean McMahon as well. So there's a whole bunch of players that they are specifically targeting. And it's not just us reading off a list. It's actually listed within the Sydney Morning Herald article that we're looking at. That's the list Uh, we're reading off. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm reading off. Um, So it's... Look, there's a big part of me that thinks that there needs to remain some very clear incentive for players to remain within Australia. But... Also, I mean, I'm finding it hard to argue against the impact that Karevi and Quade Cooper are having on the Wallabies. And the chats that I've had with my non-rugby mates over the last 48 hours or so since we've actually... Well, in the last week since we had that first win against the Boxing and backed it up again yesterday, it just shows you the impact that the Wallabies winning actually has upon rugby union in Australia. So uh, maybe maybe my initial thoughts of no, 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 in terms of opening things up are starting to get beaten down a little bit. It's a real sliding doors moment though. And we've got to be quite careful because if we look at what we currently have in 2021, we've got super rugby as it is. We have a few players who are up there. So James O'Connor, Taniela Tupo, uh, Nick White, some of those, uh, Andrew Kellaway is another one that's come back this year. We've got players who are of a good enough quality to be playing for the Wallabies. But across the board, we're not quite matching it. And it's going to show that the players that are coming in, like Quade Cooper, like Samu Krevi from overseas, are performing well because they've got experience. So if we then start... It, the problem is we're going to start diminishing the product in Australian rugby as we already have it. We've got these young guys coming through, which is great. They have potential, but they're not quite at the level that we need them to be just yet. And if we then incentivize them to go overseas and earn big bucks and not stay in Australian rugby, well, we're going to basically going to end up shooting ourselves in the foot by not having a domestic competition or domestic product within Australian rugby. If all of our players are going to be overseas playing for the big bucks in Europe and France and Japan, still getting picked for the Wallabies. It's it's really difficult. And one of the things that's come out this week in light of this conversation is Andrew Kellaway is as a player who's now come back to Australian rugby, has been called up to the Wallabies, is performing well in that environment. He's saying it doesn't make sense for a player to take a 75% pay cut 
to have to come back to Australia to play for the Wallabies. So he's very yeah. much getting behind the scrapping of the Gitto law and saying we should be able to play anywhere we want in the world and be picked for the Wallabies. But we've got to be very careful because at the same time, we're going to have no talent left in Australian rugby. And the players that we are developing aren't going to have the players like Nick White and James O'Connor to learn off. Uh, yep. And they're not really going to be able to be picked for the Wallabies because they're not going to be matured and grown to a required level. So it's difficult. It's There's no easy answer at this point. I don't want think we need to be scrapping the Gitto law, but potentially looking at amendments that we can start to to tweak. And some things have been suggested around lowering the, the cap number, lowering the amount of time you've pl- or in putting in a sort of amount of time, five seasons you've played in Australian rugby. Maybe you've only been selected for the Wallabies in the last few of those. There's so much water to go under that bridge at the moment, yeah, but we've yeah. got to be very careful. Yeah, look, and it, it goes back to the point that I've made in previous pods where just because a player has an opinion about the administration of the game doesn't mean that that opinion is correct mm. or that that opinion is the best thing for the game. So Andrew Kellaway's comments are completely valid. Yeah. And it's it's wonderful to get his perspective as a player who has somewhat early on in his career gone overseas grown benefited and then come back and is tearing it up great yeah definitely have his voice as a part of the conversation but he doesn't know the next thing at all about running a professional sports organization and so him saying you should not have to take this cut yeah okay let's listen to it but also i'm not just going to do it because Callaway thinks it's a good idea and, even if i did have the power for it and why would the players not be saying that like you have course, your cake yeah. and eat it too yeah. i want to go over there and be paid squillions of dollars and still play for the Wallabies. Well, we can't yep. necessarily do that. We need to do what's yeah. best for Australian rugby, not for Australian yep. rugby players, but Australian rugby. Yeah. Okay, let's move on from that. Now, we do need to touch on a um, really, really... Disappointing. Honestly, it's just a negative piece of news. Yeah. Um, it is something that's real, though, and has happened within the sport, so we do want to touch on it. Um, I'm going to be a little bit general, though, because of our family-friendly podcast, mm-hmm. Nature. Um, so a senior executive from Rugby Australia has been charged in a child abuse investigation. So um, he was... Oh, what was his name? I'm just looking for it within the article now. Uh, can you get it up for me, Mitch, if that's okay? Yeah. Um, the article I'm reading doesn't have it, but basically he was in charge of community rugby. Um, James Selby? James Selby? That sounds, that yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Something okay, please, that. we'll check that and re-record this if we need to. Um, but basically he has been arrested by the Australian Federal Police after having um, videos on his laptop, on his mobile, of um, said abuse. And so he's going to be getting charged. And it looks completely um, yeah. justified, seems to be evidence at this point, and good. Well done, police, and keep up the excellent work there. I don't think this has anything at all to do with rugby union, and I hope he gets punished with the full weight of the law itself. It's incredibly disappointing that this is happening on the same weekend that we should be entirely celebrating the Wallabies, but at the same time, uh, the work that the AFP are doing within this and so many organisations are doing to combat these issues throughout the globe uh, are incredibly important. Mitch and I have been involved in um, a some fundraisers over the last few years called the ping pongathon which is directly raising money to work with organizations to prevent child exploitation as well so it's something that's quite close to our heart mm-hmm. mitch anything you wanted to quickly say on this before we move on yeah i just think overall it's unfortunate that our sport has had to be drawn into this whole debacle and you know it's no fault of rugby australia that they've 
that this person's gone and done this. Um, it's it's really bad timing uh, that we've just recorded such two great victories against the Springboks. Everyone's talking about how good the Wallabies are going. Chuck in rugby Wallabies, uh, rugby Australia into Google, and these comments that these articles are popping up, and it, we're talking about something completely different. So it's unfortunate. It's really bad timing, but. Ultimately, the best outcome is that this person is removed from the organization. We get them out of our game as quickly as possible um, and they face all the charges that they can face um, through the investigation. So not, not, a good, not good timing, but I think it's the best outcome. Yep. And James Selby, he was a community rugby and rugby strategy at Rugby Australia. Yep. Um, so, yeah. And this is all he's been accused at this point. He hasn't yet been convicted. Um, so he is accused of these things. Anyway, um, let's move on. And I think what that does is that brings us near, to, well, to the end of the podcast for tonight. So, Mitch, it has been an absolute pleasure being here with you. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. And I mean, let's see if we can get up over the RGs this coming weekend. Yeah. And everyone tune in on Thursday at eight o'clock with Nick McArdle for Pick and Drive Live. Uh, We've got a big game to preview. Lots to talk about in terms of selections and who Dave Rennie decides to either play or rest. Uh, It's going to be very interesting to see the team that comes out and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. All right. See you Thursday, 8 p.m. Get involved.